Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> um, whenever I'm asked to read, I, I normally take the, the text and read through it a couple of times, and I try to make, uh, make an understanding with it, come to uh, um, so I can grok it, so I can really feel it before I uh, read it to you guys. And this one is Pentecost Sunday, and we've probably heard this one many times, and about tongues of fire coming down, and I thought about it, and I'm looking for the metaphor, the language in it that's universal to us. And what I came up with is that the language of the Holy Spirit is the, the language of the heart. And when we, I think a universal smile, if when you get, receive a smile from a little baby, you, they're not communicating to you in words. Or you see a smile from somebody in a foreign country whose language you do not speak. The communication is there. It transcends uh, the language. So I think that for me, that's where the meaning of this is, that um, the language of the Holy Spirit comes from the heart, and it's, it's understood by all. These words from Act, Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were saying, and they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because. Each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galatians? Then how is it that each of us hears in our own native tongue? Pantheans, Medes, Emulites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Creeds and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Thanks, Ward. So today's the Christian feast of Pentecost, um, and it's always celebrated on the Sunday nearest the 50th day after Easter. The Sunday nearest the 50th day after Easter. And Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecosta, literally meaning 50th day. And that's really in the reading that we've had today is why Pentecost is sort of big in the Christian calendar. You know, up to this point in in uh, this Christian story, the disciples were portrayed as simple followers, always seen as arguing amongst themselves, making wrong decisions, and running away when it gets rough. After Pentecost, it became a different game. And the disciples were seen healing people and generally behaving as if they were enlightened masters. And 
this was a mass enlightenment that really set off and set the course for the Christian religion. And you can pretty much put the birthplace of the church um, as it's grown over the last 2,000 years at this moment um, in Christian history. And after this, Peter stood up and he preached, and it said that 3,000 people were converted on that day. And that was really when they were off and running. So these were truly the pioneers uh, of the church that we have today. They were the pioneers. And I think it's interesting that when we think of pioneers, you know, we think of great names in history that made a difference. But actually the word pioneer comes from the Middle English, pioneer, and it's a soldiering term. And a pioneer was the foot soldier who prepares the way for the army. Is the foot soldier from the word peon, which means foot, literally the person who goes and does something first. And these people who do something first were literally the pioneers simply because they did it first. And it's fitting that we've got the cowboy corral here. As those people that travel west on wagons were the pioneers of what we have here today. They, they were simply the people that went first. The key thing about Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the thing that, you know, in the story that makes a difference, that empowered those disciples to do miraculous things. And there was a sim similar pioneering spirit that took people west, a willingness to endure hardship in order to explore new places and try out new things. And today we're confronted with what it means for us to have a pioneering spirit. What does it mean for us to have a, a pioneering spirit? You can see it throughout history, you know, explorers, empire builders, scientists, artists, musicians, directors. Pioneers weren't, as I said, simply there because they had huge talent or wealth or fame because they were the first to take that step. That's what makes them pioneers. They were just the first people to take that step. They were the foot soldiers that prepared the way for the army. And it's relevant to us here because, to some extent, you know, we are the foot soldiers here. I like to think that we are here at the Aspen Chapel forging something different that maybe opens a way spiritually that spirit word again, and has a different character that's gone before. You know, maybe here one that's not based on belief or a cultural code, but on the desire to live life more skillfully. Just a little step. Now, now that may or may not be the case, and I'm sure that every group and church and religion wants to see itself as having something special that nobody else has, a sort of raison d'etre. But it does beg the question as to whether or not we're prepared as individuals, each of us, you know, to be pioneers. You know, are we up for that? And if we are, you know, what form does that pioneering take? You've always got the choice, you know, in your life as to whether or not, you know, you go forward and do something. And even if you've never done it before, you know, it's never too, I love that phrase, it's never too late 
to become the person that you are meant to be. It's never too late. Whatever age you are, it's never too late to become that person. At any stage in our lives, we can say, right, I am going to take that step. It's so easy, you know, as in cowboy terms, to follow the herd. You know, and then, you know, to go off in a direction, a different direction, is often seen as dangerous and foolhardy. You know, the message really is in our society is really to keep our heads down. You know, school, college, job, marriage, contribution to community, service, saving up money, get a mortgage, put down roots, house, retirement, and a good death. (laughs) I mean, that's it. That's what we, you know... That's what we most of us aspire to, you know. That, that's, the, that's the, you know, one side of the American dream is that. You know, to die well with our reputation still okay. And yet, you know, that does encourage a herd mentality. You just follow that along. We're pretty much following in the footsteps of what past generations have aspired to. Uh, you know... That's what we hope for our children. You know, I hope my children become doctors. You know, you know, we hope our children, I hope they have nice houses. I, I hope they don't become professional musicians and go off and, you know, rock and roll fans. You know, I notice that desire for me, for my children, just to follow the herd. It makes my life a lot easier and simpler. <laughs> and really, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, a society does need, you know, to be built on strong foundations. But are are we willing to be pioneers, foot soldiers, preparing a way for others? It's difficult because foot soldiers, you know, the ones that prepare a way, they always get killed first, you know. know, know, There's a lot of reasons for not going out there and being those foot soldiers, you know. But I like to quote Meister Eckhart, this sort of 13th century Christian mystic, and he says, In all a man does... He should turn his will Godward and keep God alone in his mind. Forge ahead without qualms about its being the right thing or whether he's making a mistake. If a painter had to plan every brushstroke with the first, he would paint nothing. And if going to some place we had first to settle how to put one foot down in front of another, we'd never get there. So follow the first step and continue. You will get to the right place and all will be well. That's Meister Eckhart. We're encouraged in, in this sort of spirit, you know, we're encouraged to find that spirit within ourselves and step out. That's what Pentecost is really about, finding that spirit within ourselves and stepping out And so something new comes about from that, if we do that. And really, in a sense, creation is advanced. The spirit spirit is the guardian of creation. The spirit is deep wisdom. Sophia is the word that's used in the Greek Old Testament. That's the word for wisdom. And believe it or not, it's feminine. Sophia is the word for wisdom. 
that deep wisdom that brings about all things and leads us and may lead others. And the word spirit literally means breath. Spirare, from the French spirare, inspiration, inspire. It's all a breathing word. The two meanings, to breathe in and to embolden, to inspire. That spirit, the animating vital principle in man and animals, you know, that is our road home. That is the signpost. The spirit is our road home. And that's really what it means to have a spiritual life. To have a spiritual life means to be on the road home. It's a lovely thought, that. To have a spiritual life means to be on the road home. And it's interesting that the spiritual life is often a process of what we already know. You know, you go to a talk with one of these you know, masters and you go, oh, yes, of course, that's right, you know. Oh, I can see that, yes, I, I knew that. It's almost a process of remembering, of recalling to mind that which we already know. That's really the spiritual life. And so we're led by the Spirit, all of us, whether consciously or not. You know, we're led on one level to be part of the herd. And we're led to be pioneers, like those first disciples and those who were on the way west, and the artists and foot soldiers who trod their particular paths first. So the question to ask is really, where is the Spirit leading you? It's a really good question to ask. Is it to be part of the herd? Or is there some aspect of you that is a pioneering aspect? maybe that you haven't yet put into practice. And the reason I'm saying this is that as a gathering, the Aspen Chapel does tend to be on the pioneering side rather than the herding side. You know, like coming to Aspen itself, you really have to choose to be here. You've really got to choose to be in Aspen. It takes some time to get here. And you've got to choose to be at the Aspen Chapel. It's much simpler to be in another church you know, where there's a really agreed set of rules, whatever they are, there isn't that agreed set of rules here, which makes it, you know, a little bit different. It's not like just going to church. You don't know what you're going to be faced with (laughs) one week after the other. One week it could be a maypole with all the chairs in a circle. Oh my goodness, they didn't want to come here today. Or, Or Elizabeth Pepke might show up, or a jazz band, or a cowboy chorale. Or even Holy Communion. You know, <laughs> you never know what it's going to be there. There, there might, you know, be readings from, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Tao Te Ching, the Upanishads, or even like today, the Bible, you know, anywhere. <laughs> you never know what's going to be there. We might be in the round or like now, or sometimes there might be tables here. You just never know. So there really is, I think, a p- pioneering spirit here. You know, one that built this, you know, Swiss-looking chapel in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. You know, one that Greg Anderson, you know, one that led him to create a spiritual community out of nothing. When he arrived here, there was nothing happening. Nobody coming on a Sunday. One that drew me here, you know, from Norfolk. And one that drew you here, each one of you, for a hundred different reasons. You know, you're here for whatever that reason is. And to that extent, I sort of know that you're pioneers by the very fact that you're here, not following the herd, but being at the Aspen Chapel. 
And the question then is, you know, what are you pioneering? What way are you preparing for others? What part of the herd do you reject? And it's different for all of us. For me, it comes down, you know, the thing that's important for me is the difference between, you know, the idea of the full self and the true self that Thomas Merton spoke about. That, I think that's a key thing. You know, he talks about, when he talks about the full self, he says, every one of us, he says, is shadowed by an illusory self, a false self. This is the man or woman that I want myself to be, but who cannot exist because God doesn't know anything about him. And to be unknown to God is altogether too much privacy. My false self, my private self, is the one who wants to exist outside of the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of that reality, outside, in a sense, of that life. And such a self cannot help but be an illusion. And we're not very good at recognizing illusions, Thomas Merton says, least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves, especially the ones we're born with. This is that sort of herd mentality. For most of the people of the world, there is no greater subjective reality than this false self. That's who they believe in. And yet it can't really exist. And people live in this idea of, you know, an idealized, fabricated reality that's who they are. And against this, Thomas Merton says, we have the idea that God utters me like a word. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. And a word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I meant to embody, that pioneering bit, I shall be full of God's actuality and find God everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall find myself. I shall be going home. And the difference between living a life that's forced by the ego, a sort of forced life that the ego makes us go along with, and one that is given by a life force is, is a different sort of thing. It's different the way that you operate. You know, the difference between living with the life force and then making ourselves do something through the ego. It's a sort of actively passive way where you listen and then act after that. And, but each of us, you know, has something different. You know, that, that's what I'm really about, you know. We're all unique. We have different ways that we pioneer. And the key to being true to your pioneering spirit is to identify that which is driving you and live by it. That which is driving you and live by it. And only you know that. Only you know that. But let me just say this, that that which is driving you, that, that reason, is the reason for your existence, whether you knew it or not. It's not your family, I'm afraid to say. It's not the golf course. It's not the mountain. It's not pleasure or pain. You know, it's not anything that you can experience. The reason for your existence is to make a contribution to that thing which we call creation. That's why you're here. To be part of evolution. The evolution that will take us all home. Because we are all going somewhere. This is all going somewhere. However long it takes. And so far it's taken 13.7 billion years. 
It has. And we are, we are in that moment, 13.7 billion years. We will get to the end because that's what evolution is about. But right now, we are at this stage of evolution and you are it. You are at the forefront of it because this is about the evolution of consciousness now. You know, we're not you know, developing extra limbs or anything like that. You know, we got to the point now where physically pretty much that's it. What's changing now is consciousness. Look at the development over the last 2,000 years, hospitals, schools, everything. You know, I know people look out and think, oh, it's a little nightmare out there, but it's not. There is a development, an understanding of the nature of consciousness. Humanity is evolving its perception of itself within the nature of reality. Individually, racially, globally, and cosmically, that is unfolding. And the most satisfying thing that any of us can do is to be a part of that, is to play our part in it. And you've got a part in there, whether you know it or not. That's why you come into life. You, apart from the other 20 billion, sorry, 20 million sperm that were going, going up there, I always liked that idea. It was 20 million to one, and you won. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You have. You've each won the lottery. There were 19.999 million others going up that channel, and you got there. Well, you know, you, you have to ask why. All of us. Because you've got a part to play. And that's how we become pioneers. This chapel is pioneering a new way of expressing spirituality. That's what we're about. It's non-aligned. It's not based on belief. It's inclusive of all wisdom that helps us to live more skillfully. It goes beyond religion, but it includes religion within itself. It goes beyond religion, but it does include religion. It's, you know, we're looking for common threads. We're looking for that common wisdom. And that is a pioneering contribution, I think, to the development of consciousness. And each of us plays a part in that, in our family life, in our work life, in our relationships, in our finances, in our attitudes, in the way that we live our lives. We play that part, and it does make a difference. And by living in a way that is prompted by the Spirit, by who we are innately, we begin to bring about that little bit of order into the chaos, which is our global life. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Sam, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. You know, when you go outside the herd, they, just, they go, he's had too much wine, he's been down to leaf again. <laughs> Other purveyors are available. You know, you do get that feeling when someone does go off. If my son suddenly said, I'm going to leave school now, I'm going to go off and cook or whatever it is. I go, no, help, you know. <laughs> but when the spirit moves you, Others can only really look on in amazement. When the spirit moves you, others can only really, like in that, in that passage at Pentecost, they looked on in amazement. When people went west, they looked on in amazement. When Galileo, they look on in amazement. Those people that were pioneers on that first step. Let's pray.
And we do pray now for the, all the chaos that does exist in the world. Particularly think of those bombs in Afghanistan, in Egypt, the attacks in Manchester and London, and all over the world where there are people who are suffering from that chaos in prison, in hospital, people who are hungry, people with nowhere to sleep, people oppressed, unsafe. And we pray for a spirit of compassion in our leaders, that movement where people will move away from the herd and show a new way. Pray for our town. Pray for our valley. Pray for our country. And we particularly pray for those who are not well that we know of at the moment. We pray for Patricia Hill, Barbara Orcutt, Will Welsh, for Valbrick Karlberg, for Anne Hodges, Tracy Houston, Linda Schneider, Lauren Ann Bauer, Jan Metz, Lainey Hers, Sole. We pray for Bud Norris. Uh, yesterday his father died at the age of 93. Harry Norris, pray for that family. Pray for the family of Melanie Galderisi. Pray for Susan Gomez and the family of Pepper Gomez. And pray for Sharon Wells. And all those that we know in our hearts who are suffering at the moment, we just remember them now in Jesus' name. Amen.